This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Uh, this is Sunil Kaki. I'm the SVP of marketing at Thrive Market. And uh, what I love about uh, the grocery business, and especially online grocery business, uh, is really just having a positive impact on people's lives. Uh, we, be, we can buy a lot of things online today, uh, thanks to the likes of Amazon. But really, uh, food and groceries is something that touches all of us and can have a meaningful impact on uh, whoever you are. If you're a single person wanting to live healthy or a family that's trying to feed uh, your kids, I think it's just so foundational and fundamental. That's what I love. From New York City, you're listening to Grocery Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the food and grocery industries. Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Rako. Uh, glad to have you here on Groceries Your Business. Uh, along with me is uh, our usual host of the show, Rob Sanchez. Hey, Rob. Hey, how's it going? All right. And uh, also joining us uh, because uh, Mouth Media has uh, connected with Commerce Next to interview some of their speakers from their upcoming conference on July 31st and August 1st in New York. We happen to have one of those speakers Joe Yakwell, he's the CEO of Agency Within, and he's here with us in the studio as a guest host. Hey, Joe. How's it going? All right. Uh, great to have you here. And uh, again, uh, our guest is none other than Mr. Sunil Kaki. He is the SVP Marketing at Thrive Market, uh, undoubtedly uh, a, a fairly important brand within uh, the grocery business, and we're very glad to have you on the show. Sunil, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I, I like to just lead off with one quick question, and that is, how does Thrive Market see its place within the grocery industry at this moment? And, and maybe compare that with perhaps what its, a, its, its initial identity and how that was conceived, and, and, and is it different now? Yeah. Initially, it was... Uh... You know, the vision of Gennar and Nick, uh, who are the original co-founders. And um, the idea was, how do we democratize um, like healthy living and access to healthy groceries? And uh, we don't all live next to a Whole Foods. Uh, most of the country doesn't. And even if we do, it's uh, really expensive uh, to shop at groceries for your regular uh, everyday needs. So the idea was, how do we uh, expand the access, both in terms of convenience and price, of healthy groceries? Believe it or not, the original sort of concept was Groupon for healthy groceries. So uh, let's say they had a 1,000 um, cans of coconut oil, uh, then they would do a Groupon-style sale, and a 1,000 people would sort of opt in, and then the deal would unlock. Uh, clearly that wasn't going to scale given uh, the category. So they really quickly pivoted to a membership model where it's similar to Costco where you pay in about $60 a year and uh, you essentially unlock uh, really low-cost, high-quality uh, products. And that's been consistent through time, and that's actually what kind of drives us today. It is truly a membership model and our, we're in the business of just adding value to our members by unlocking and giving them access to high-quality products 
that unanimously are non-GMO, that are organic and healthy, and uh, really at the lowest cost possible delivered to their home. So that's still what drives us uh, today. And what's kind of amazing to me when I look at your site is just the logistics and fulfillment that must be required to do what you guys do. I mean, there's so many products. They're so different in variety. They're private label. Like, how do you guys do that? Is 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 some of this kind of things that you see that are already being produced that you then you know, put your brand on it? Or is it mostly or all, you know, formulated specifically and uniquely for you? Like, you know, just the scale is so amazing. I'm curious how you guys pull it off. Yeah, it's a it's it's a combination of those two things, but it's really driven by our members. Uh, they tell us explicitly through the surveys and the Facebook groups and the social sort of feedback channels that we have, but also implicitly just based on what they're buying on the platform. And so our catalog is about six thousand products. Uh, our private label is over five hundred uh, products, and so we're very uh, picky about what we transition to a private label. And it's driven by what our members want. Uh, it's based on what they're buying the most, but also what's not available in the marketplace that our members really want. So we actually go uh, directly and create our own sort of formulation, uh, add ingredients, remove ingredients that meet our standards. And then when we see the opportunity that either a brand is not stepping up to or nobody is sort of exploring, we sort of go in and build a private label product. And as a result, every time we launch a new product, uh, it basically becomes a top seller on the site because we do so much due diligence ahead of time um, before we launch something new. Can can you help walk me through that a little bit with like a use case? Is it is the typical use case somebody sending an email to customer support and saying, hey, you know, can't find this on your site or, hey, buy this from you, but wish it was really more like that, you know, and with a modification. And then you're kind of how and if that's the case, like, how do you aggregate that in a way that, you know, which ones bubble to the top? And if that's not, then maybe if you could help us with a more typical use case of what really drives that product innovation from your customer base. Yeah. So we look at, we, we start off with the top sellers on the site in every category. We go read through the reviews. Uh, we send surveys out to our members. Uh, we gather feedback from our member services, uh, the narrative. Uh, if we have feed specific feedback on that product, uh, we do a really good job of actually asking for product reviews. So if you look at the site, a lot of our products actually have a decent number of reviews, and they're pretty authentic. Uh, they're not incentivized. Um, so we actually get real-time feedback on top-selling products pretty quickly. So we identify top sellers, look at the customer feedback, look at sort of what the industry is, and then we have our own standards that we layer on top. Uh, and that's how we sort of get to that process. How do you drive that engagement from that community then? It seems like that's an important part of the business model. Yeah, we're we're fortunate that... Uh, you know, when we ask our members, they not only like it, like Thrive Market, or they're okay with Thrive Market, they truly love Thrive Market, and they really feel like they're part of this community, and they feel the sense of responsibility to make the site, the product catalog, the experience better together. Uh, an example I'll give you, we, we launched a private Facebook group. We invited about 50,000 of our members, and uh, our goal was to get to 10,000 people in the group. 
And my realistic estimation was like, oh, you know, we'll have to send a few emails. It'll take about a month to get there. Literally within six hours, we had about 7,000 people um, signed up for the Facebook group. So they're just, we're just fortunate that they're very engaged and active and they believe in the mission and what we're doing. So it's actually pretty easy for us to get uh, feedback, either at a product level, on site, or UX, or whatever the case might be. And, and I've kind of an odd question for you, which I'm not sure if you know the answer to, but I'm just curious. Uh, I was looking at your site and sorting for kind of most popular products, and so many of them have coconut in it <laughs> and when i look at and when i look at even like a whole foods or something like that it doesn't seem to be nearly as concentrated do your customers love coconut products or is there something else going on here <laughs> and i'm sitting here drinking a rebel with a coconut MCT base, <laughs> so, yeah. right on yeah no i think it's uh, it's a really interesting observation we uh i think our members do love coconut oil uh, and coconut products as a substitute uh, there might be a little bit of a uh, self-fulfilling thing. A couple of years ago, uh, we had a tactic of uh, customer acquisition by giving away free coconut oil. And as a result, we probably index high on users that love coconut oil. <laughs> yeah, self-selection, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there might be a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy there. It's going to be it. fun and to see if you can push in different directions. Like, oh, well, there's a sale on kale, so I'm going to give away free kale for a while to see if you can't do <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Or and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the other growing trend. So uh, I guess the, it brings another question, too, which is you mentioned that a, a lot of the focus for the product innovation starts with these uh, these products that sell really well and then diving into the reviews and, and feedback from customers and things like that. How how does that then you know get complemented with things that you must be doing to go more on breadth? Because otherwise, like you know, you would continue to innovate around the same types of products, but maybe avoid or or not avoid, but but miss the opportunity to take advantage of something that is actually farther out from what is your bestseller, but could become the next bestseller. So essentially, how do you prevent just the flywheel approach of just continuing down the same path versus trying to find something that's unique and different? Yeah, I think the other portion of that is, um, you know, we're, we're our merchandising team and product innovators are pretty good at being left of trend. And really, you know, we caught um, the CBD trend online before a lot of the other folks have kind of come on. We were the first people to sell Charlotte's Web. Charcoal toothpaste was a big thing before it kind of blew up, like activated charcoal. So our merchandising team is really, really good about staying left of trend and really picking up those trends before they really go mainstream. That combined with the customer data allows us to sort of strike the right balance of not just keep innovating in coconut oil, for example, and actually delivering on the breadth of the catalog and really uh, driving the trend and uh, really be on the forefront of it. And then how do you validate that the same way that you do with things that you already do sell? You know, so in this case, something that your merchandisers are finding that are, like you said, more unique, but now you don't have that kind of data and feedback loop on it. Are you bringing that to your kind of private group, for example, and asking people what they think? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we do it to our we do a beta with our private group, um, but we, we we also have misses, right? So we're not always on point, and so there will be products that we launch that uh, we were either too early or you know it was truly just a fad, and then we kind of really double down on it, uh, and those things happen. Uh, but I think over time we've gotten really good at 
narrowing down both through instinct and data the right products that we think will not will not only be great for our members as they sit today but also new folks that we want to go and acquire so a good example of this is uh dragon fruit chips uh they're like a snack they're i want those right now by the way that just (laughs) yeah they're they're delicious and uh, the interesting thing is you know we started the product development um, you know, six, seven months ago, as we usually have to, and we launched the product, it was an immediate success. And uh, just dragon fruit, the red dragon fruit that we used, just became really popular. And you started to see it everywhere. And there's actually a global shortage on red dragon fruit now. Oh, great. So yeah. there are definitely <laughs> other external factors that we, we cannot predict, unfortunately. So we do have misses, uh, both in not hitting the trend and uh, not hitting what our members want, but also when we do hit it, there's supply chain things that we have to take it down for. Sunil, on that point, uh, since uh, Thrive Market allows you to filter by more than 70 diets, allergies, and lifestyle values, uh, according to your site there, uh, how are you looking at uh, interacting with and pulling intel from communities that are focused around those specific lifestyles or diets or allergies and following the things that they're paying attention to, trends that are happening within those communities that you can start to look at how that may expand your product line or the next cool thing. Uh, So as opposed to looking for more macro trends or macro data, how are you interacting with specific communities around those particular uh, needs? Yeah. Uh, You know, it's truly kudos to our product innovation team. Uh, They triangulate between food trends and macro trends, like you're saying, to really asking our members, you know, not only are the products categorized by these diet tribes, what we call diet tribes or values, uh, but users are also categorized by that based on their purchase behavior. So when we want to do a survey, we can actually go target users within our member base that have a high propensity to be ketogenic, for example, or a low FODMAP diet. And we can really just go directly ask them. Uh, So we do that pretty regularly. Uh, But I think primarily it's just our food innovators. They just have their fingers on the pulse, uh, both from industry macro trends and conferences and talking to vendors. And now we're at a fortunate position where we get pitched uh, constantly by brands uh, by influencers around food trends and how they want to work with us. So there's a bunch of different data points, but really their product innovation team is uh, is key. So you mentioned earlier that you, you were giving away free coconut oil. Uh, would love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing today, if that's not you know, still a core part of the, the strategy to bring in new customers. You know, it sounds like you have an amazing community of people that are buying from you already and that are in love with, with the brand, the product and the service. Um, how do you go about expanding that outside of word of mouth, which I'm sure is a, a really powerful part of the mix. Um, but for people that don't know you guys and, and haven't heard about you from somebody else, how are you going out and attracting new customers? Yeah. So when I joined about a year and a half ago, my goal was to understand, you know, really define why we exist, right? So there's a lot of convenience factors and price and discounts and promos, but really the core of it, like why why do we exist? Why do we need to exist? And what do we do better than anyone else? 
really the answer came down to the dietary values that you can take a 6,000 product catalog and with one filter essentially filter only the products that are relevant to vegans or ketogenic uh, diet or paleo. You know, the running joke is there's no paleo aisle at Whole Foods or any grocery store, but there is one at Thrive Market. So taking that sort of insight, and we really looked at the data as well, looked at, looked at users that came in historically through these diet-specific intent, and really their LTV was significantly higher than a user coming in for a free coconut oil or even a single product on Google Shopping uh, or any sort of arbitrary influencer uh, that's not tied to a dietary value. So taking that insight really doubled down on pivoting our entire customer acquisition, on finding users that are aligning to these dietary values. And you'd be surprised how many people are, are they align to a dietary value at some point in their life. Um, obviously, we see a spike in January. Everybody's trying to do ketogenic or Whole30 in January, so it's a great time for us. But even through the year, um, there are these diet tribes or trends that are just taken off. Like keto has, I think, 4x the search results on Google today versus a year ago. So there are these sort of trends that we started to notice, and then we have a, um, a product and a service that really aligns to that. So now we focus on influencers that align to that value, uh, or we work with them to say like, hey, are you willing to not just do a pay for post, but really be... Um, a vegan for a month and really tell your story and we will pay for that. So really working with these influencers on on usual channels like paid social and Google search and display to really find these folks that have a alignment to one of these dietary values. They seem to be the best um, quality customers for us. Yeah. And, and is the influencer piece the the bigger channel for you or, or is search where there's so much of that intent, you know, I'm just curious kind of how these size up against each other. Yeah, I think we've grown these channels to a point where they're almost equal footing. Um, That's so awesome. Facebook, uh, paid search, including shopping and influencers are almost equal weight uh, in terms of our spend and resources and effort. Um, so and then also impact. And you know, you have this kind of subscription model for being, you know, part of the Thrive Market community in order to access. Uh, but what about other forms of subscription on the product level or things like that to also from a convenience perspective to the customer, but also from an LTV perspective for the brand? How do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good that's a really good idea. Like those are things that we're considering and sort of thinking through you know, really putting our member hats first and seeing which parts of our catalog really lend themselves to a subscription. The beauty is that you don't have to set all 6,000 products on subscription through us. You, we can just say cleaning supplies, supplements, vitamins, diapers, wipes, things that are more predictable. Um, and you don't vary once you lock in what you want to use. Uh, those are perfect candidates for us to turn on as a subscription. Uh, so, yeah, those are all things that, you know, uh, we're constantly talking through as an exec team and really figuring out when and how that can actually come to fruition. And the other question I have for you, a similar angle here is uh, also selfish for me, is, um, you know, for, for my office, uh, we, we're always looking for, 
healthy snacks to bring in. You know, we we use some services that provide kind of uh, the ability to subscribe and get different snacks every month. Uh, and we're also trying to buy from different places. Um, have you guys thought about from a more corporate perspective, ways to expand beyond just the consumer market, but more in the B2B market? Um, and and if so, kind of what are you guys thinking about doing there? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great opportunity. Uh, most of us spend so much time at work that all of our healthy eating habits can't stop on the weekends or at nights. You know, that has, has to continue during the day. So I think that's a huge opportunity for us. If we want to truly deliver on a mission of making uh, healthy living easy and accessible for everyone, so that's definitely on our roadmap, and we've done some tests with uh, local businesses, and they've loved it. So right now, you can actually set up uh, sort of a subscription. We call it Auto Ship um, for certain products. So you can configure it to say, these are the 15 snacks and these quantities that I want on a monthly or bi-monthly cadence. So that can happen today. And uh, we do have businesses on the platform that actually use a platform for that reason. How much are you um, playing on the logistics side, on the uh, packaging side to drive the cost down? And how much is sort of offsetting through the cash flow from the membership and from group buy? Are you putting a lot of effort in innovating on the, on say like drop ship and packaging? Or is it more that just an aggregate your sizes? letting you play i think it's the latter our sizes letting us uh play at the scale it's a low margin business as we all know uh but the volume and the scale so we have two fulfillment centers uh we collect all the products from vendors and brands uh and the distributors and then uh, we actually package the boxes and sending send it out of our fulfillment centers mm -hmm. so we do that all in-house uh it's definitely uh, expensive, uh, given the weight of the product and the low cost, low margin. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're getting better and more efficient uh, because of our scale as well. Uh, but that's something that we're going to continue to innovate on um, because you know that's going to continue to be something we have to be mindful of as we scale. And then from a new brand perspective, are you pre-purchasing products or are you doing more like dropship on some of the test products? It's a, it's a combination. So depending on our confidence level for volume and uh, sales on the site, uh, we sort of um, we can kind of opt into any of those things. Uh, we have enough scale and our MOQs are big enough where we can actually dictate the terms early on uh, and then we can kind of scale as needed. And a, a quick question, I guess, like on the margin side, you're giving up part of your margin also as, as a give back to uh, causes inside of the community. How, how do you see that playing? Um, I mean, it's, it's a great thing to do. Is that driving community and, and new users? Or is that simply like a core mission of the company? And given that margins are so tight in the grocery business, how is that affecting the business model? Yeah, it's just part of the DNA. And that's actually one of the reasons why I joined Thrive uh, was it is just who the, what this company is. And so we will figure out how to financially make that work um, for both running the business and make sure that it's sustainable. Uh, but I just think it's absolutely crucial in our ability to deliver on our mission. It shouldn't be restricted to only the folks that can afford the $60 membership a year. Uh, so that's why we donate a membership for every membership that's bought on the platform. And so we work with local schools, um, you know, firefighters, 
parents, uh, we work with local organizations to really find people to donate that membership. And then in addition, uh, we also have a program where our members can actually donate a checkout. There's part of their savings or all of their savings to then essentially fund uh, the Thrive Gives members accounts to enable them to actually get to buy the groceries and get access to it. And then in addition to that, we work constantly with local charities, um, again, to deliver on our mission. It shouldn't be only to people that can shop online or afford the $60 membership. It should be for everyone. So that's actually an interesting, just like a side note, is that um, a lot of people who are doing online aren't looking at the impact of online businesses Mm -hmm. and that a lot of low-income communities, let's say in New York, it's very difficult to ship into those communities in the projects, for example. It's very difficult to receive packages in those in some of those buildings. And um, so they're often excluded from membership programs. So it's interesting to see what can be done on that side to help. Uh, New York is an area that suffers a lot from food deserts where there are entire communities inside of the city that because of zoning issues don't have access to fresh groceries. Um, within a walking distance from the buildings. Yeah. So it's interesting to see what can be done on that side too. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 exactly right. I think military bases is another one that is um, a little bit of a, you know, blocked out zone. And those are things that we're constantly thinking about how we can actually uh, provide access to military bases and to these areas that, you know, just standard online delivery isn't feasible. Uh, or just logistically, it's not happening. So that's definitely top of mind for us. And we work with organizations to really give access uh, within those communities as well. Yeah, and, and, and speaking to kind of giving access, you know, I think some people look at the the way that you guys gate your site or the, the membership component um, as something that kind of has a hurdle, um, you know, Costco, I, I don't know if they do this today, but I remember, um, you know, at least from some of my, my history of purchasing from them, is allows you even without membership to buy their products, but they just kind of mark it up or, or don't mark it to their, to their kind of club price, either way you want to look at it. Um, curious to pick your brain on the strategy that you've taken here and, you know, potentially opportunities to give it to you know, give the access to people that aren't signing up as members in a way that still makes business sense for you guys and essentially gives people an op- opportunity to try it without having to sign on for a membership. Yeah, no, it's, it's something that's top of mind for us. And uh, like as uh, the exact team, we were constantly sort of thinking through how we can broaden the reach and the access, the way that we've sort of, you know, thought about it is, you know, today it's gated, but you essentially give your email address, uh, and then you're able to shop. And because of the trial period, you're not really signing up or paying for the membership fees yet. So you get 30 days to actually try the product and buy like multiple orders, see the experience before you commit to the $60 membership fees. So that's how we've been able to kind of think through, you know, giving an email address to us shouldn't be a gating uh, or exclusionary to most people if they're able to shop online. It's the $60 membership, and that's why we have the 30-day sort of trial period to really allow people to buy and try. Now, you're refunding a portion of that membership if people don't hit savings within the year, I think, right? 
Yeah, so we have this savings guaranteed program where you pay the $60 membership fee. Let's say you make only one purchase and your total savings was only $10 or $15. We'll refund the remainder uh, to the customer uh, because, again, you know, if you're not using your membership or for whatever reason not finding the value, we're, we're not interested in keeping the membership fees just because. Uh, so we do refund that, and that's what we call sort of the savings guarantee. I think it's also just really cool in the responsibility kind of way where you see so many brands trying to specifically figure out ways to do the opposite, right? Of like, how do we keep every dollar we can, right? Like, how do we, how do we, you know, get people to take this action, even if they don't really realize what they're committing to and things like that, where you guys are actually going the complete opposite direction, which is, hey, you didn't even ask for it, right? Um, You're not complaining about it. You didn't you kind of go reach out to customer service and beg for a refund and you're still helping them out, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we, we need to make actually more, um, we actually need to go in that direction even more. And we're actually taking more and more steps of leading with our membership messaging and in the front sort of the first steps that you take the first user experience, really leading with membership messaging value prop. And so we're going to continue to double down on that. And that's been a really core focus for, myself and our CTO uh, to really lead with our membership messaging. Historically, we shied away from it because we weren't uh, sure if people would be uh, being turned off by the membership. So we really led with products and brands and discounts as our first messaging. And now I think we're really fine-tuning that messaging and really leading with that um, and really getting better at telling that story. Sunil, how are uh, just shifting slightly, but talking about membership? How are you looking at your membership as a whole, as a community, both in terms of driving to whatever degree it's important to your brand, uh, driving that sense of belonging <laughs> to the Thrive Market community, and whatever that may mean in terms of longevity of that membership? Uh, you know, once the blooms off the rose. <laughs> you know, wanting to stay a part of this, number one. Number two, um, within that community, looking at the way that people are using the products that they are buying through Thrive Market and integrating into their lives, sometimes creatively, both in terms of reinforcing that sense of community, using it as uh, UGC that can be pushed through your channels for marketing purposes, but also the additional data that can come from that uh, as you look at your overall membership and what you do know about them and, you know, filling in between the lines in terms of, um, you know, uh, in the summer months, such and such goes up, but actually not for the reason that we thought it's because people are using it this way. And that's evidenced by the activity we see within our community. So yep. anyway, can you speak to that? Yeah, no, I think it's it's a really good, really good question. A really good point is it's and it's something we we've struggled with in the past, and something that we need to get better at. My my two cents is uh, the sense of community is organic. It's not going to be an ad campaign. It's not going to be just a kick-ass uh, Instagram feed or anything. It has to be part of every touch point and every experience that a member has with us. Uh, that's everything from sharing back reviews really, you know, highlighting our member as the hero, not us, in all of our marketing messaging and acquisition 
and really building a community where they can actually talk to each other. You know, that was a good learning from our Facebook group that we created. The Facebook group is really active and most of it is just around members helping each other. So we just have to go create mechanisms for our members to just interact with each other and that will reinforce the sense of community uh, over and over again. And it has to happen across every touchpoint on site, in our app, in our social, in our advertising, uh, in our emails. Um, it just has to, through influencers, it just has to happen everywhere. And then as for the last part of your question, which is sort of these member insights and how do we sort of, if I understand it correctly, how do we ins use the member insights to really then garner the, the community aspect of um, our business model? It's just sharing, like sharing stories. We just haven't done a good enough job of uh, connecting all the dots and telling stories back to our members. One of the things we just recently did was uh, we asked our Thrive Gives community, which is the folks that we give the free membership to, to just share their stories. And we got uh, about a dozen uh, video sort of testimonials for the impact that Thrive has had in their lives. And literally, we showcased it in our company all hands uh, yesterday, and uh, I couldn't spot a dry eye in the audience. And so we need to do a better job of just doing that with our employees, but also sharing that through social and all the channels to our members as well. And just really closing that loop of insights and feedback and testimonials and sharing it back to our members uh, in a consistent way. Do you find it's also necessary or interesting to share that back to the suppliers as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the great things um, that I learned after I joined here that I didn't appreciate ahead of time is our vendors love us, right? So we're in, unlike Amazon where at trade shows and stuff, uh, the brands love to meet with us and they're excited about sharing their roadmap. They're excited about being transparent. Uh, it's because we're fair, right? We're, we're going to be low price and competitive price, but it's truly about being a fair price. And our members are okay with that. And we share these sort of anecdotal and quantitative data back to our vendors as well, uh, because we're in the business of building brands and helping launch brands as well as building a membership community. How does that play into the white label strategy? I know that Trader Joe's has run into some issues over time um, where basically they're, they're hunting for interesting products and then finding the original suppliers. And they've gotten some backlash on, I think it was like their peanut butter filled pretzels. They actually were sued over. Yeah. Um, how are you handling that where you, you might be working with a up and coming brand, but you're also at the same time looking at the supplier base? I think it's just transparency. You know, we're, we, uh, whenever possible, we try to give the right of refusal to the brand uh, to help build the right formula and manufacture it for us. And uh, if they're not able to, or if they don't want to, then we actually go for uh, and find a different supplier. And mm -hmm. everyone knows that our primary objective is to serve our members. Uh, all the brands know that. And they appreciate that we're fully transparent. It doesn't happen behind the scenes and secretly it's sort of a new brand or new product comes in a category that they don't know about. Uh, most often we're very transparent with the brands within that category that we're going to be doing this. 
All right. Uh, Phil, Phil, that was a, a, a pretty nice uh, 30,000 foot view and, and maybe a, a micro view of Thrive Market. What a great discussion. Uh, but let's, uh, let's change the conversation a little bit and talk a little less about Thrive and a little bit more about Sunil. We'll do that right after this with some personal questions. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, uh, let's uh, look at the human side of Sunil. Uh, and uh, I'll invite Rob to lead it off. Sure. Um, I like going back to people's origins and education as well. And um, so just looking at you as somebody who's joined a, a cause driven. Um, company, can you go back to like elementary school, high school, places like that, and talk a little bit about causes you connected with at that time and then the actions you took around them? I'd love to hear how that played a part in your development as a person. Yeah, that's a really good question. Causes that I believed in elementary school, I'm not sure, uh, besides playing outside and uh, hanging out with friends. Uh, But I think the the thing that was, so I grew up in India. I moved to this country when I was 15. Um, and even in India, uh, you know, my parents are from the southern part of India and I grew up in Delhi. Uh, the reason that's important is that uh, even though it's the same country, it's quite different. Um, as you might know, is like language, people, how they look, everything is different. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always had this sort of sense of uh, not belonging. And that was an interesting thing to realize, like when you're growing up, you don't really think about it. But looking back, there was always sort of, uh, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged in New Delhi, where everyone looked different, uh, differently than I did, uh, skin color, language, the food that they ate, everything was different. And that's kind of what I grew up in. The only thing that connected me to my roots and also made me feel comfortable in Delhi was food, right? Like I loved the Delhi North Indian cuisine. I loved the food that I grew up with. So when I went back to my grandparents' house, and that was something that has been a common theme throughout my life is, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I've always been a vegetarian. So when I went to college, my freshman year uh, dorm food was basically cheese pizza, cheese lasagna, and make your own sandwiches. Yeah, (laughs) iceberg lettuce with, yeah, yeah. cheese sandwiches. (laughs) Yeah, And that was the only vegetarian options I had. So I actually had to go learn how to make food that I grew up with. And so starting sophomore year, I would cook on Sundays for the whole week so that I actually didn't just gain freshman 15 and then freshman 50 uh, (laughs) by the end of uh, college. So uh, food has been a consistent theme. And so when uh, coming back to Thrive, you know, there's a lot of interesting problems to go solve in e-commerce. And after being at Amazon, um, I had a few options that I could have picked from. Uh, but really, like when I started to talk to Nick and Gnar and Sasha, the founders of Thrive, uh, you know, it really resonated with me that food and groceries and healthy, healthy groceries it's just a fundamental part of who we are um, and our identity and, you know, what families are spending time around. And I love that. And I love the mission of just making healthy food accessible to everyone, regardless of uh, if you're willing and able to shop at Whole Foods or not. So 
it was uh, that's yeah in a nutshell so i have a two-part question for you kind of dovetailing off of what you were just saying at the end there um what's your favorite thrive market product and if you could also point us to is there anything about your lifestyle and the way that you eat that has changed since joining thrive (laughs) yeah um I love our olive oil. Uh, we source it from Crete, and it's really, really high quality. Um, it's re- really affordable because we go direct to the source. Uh, our coffees are phenomenal. Uh, now, my new favorite is this dragon fruit chips. So I'm uh, hoarding as much as I can before we completely run out. Uh, and now our kids, I have two little boys, and they love the dragon fruit chips. It's got no added sugar, so I don't feel as bad as uh, giving them other snacks. So those three products are probably top top of mind right now. Cool. Was there a part two, or was that the part two? No, no, he 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 gave me part one and two. That's cool. Oh, awesome. Okay, <laughs> great. That was very that worked out pretty well. You know, I I know at Thrive Market, uh, the like pretty much any business, especially a business that has to interact with its customers and create community and so forth, you know, consumer experience is really important. So my question for you is, can you think of a really great consumer experience that you've had out there, let's say in the last year that, that stuck with you and, and conversely, a horrible consumer experience, uh, and you you don't have to name the brand or company if you don't want to, but uh, but please do, but please do, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you can just call it Schmalmart or whatever, you know. So no, but 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 all, all kidding aside, so a great consumer experience that you remember that stuck with you, and then one that really turned you off because they didn't do it right. Yeah, uh, I I mean I love. Airbnb. Uh, we just recently kind of booked a, uh, a spot in Seattle to go to, and it we hadn't sort of done the Airbnb for a bit, and uh, because we have three year old and a year and a half old, so we haven't really traveled in a while. Uh, but really, you know, going through the Airbnb experience now again, it was just incredible. Uh, the host was great. The communication back and forth. The the pre-setup and everything as the room was like, that was incredible. So I think I continue to be a huge fan of Airbnb as a consumer brand. Um, By the way, wouldn't they be an interesting partner for Thrive Market to be able to, to provide fresh groceries to uh, that could be pre-ordered for people staying in an Airbnb? Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to write that one down. Uh, (laughs) I only take 10%. (laughs) Um, no, I think that's a great idea to work with hosts sure. to actually give them the ability to pre-populate with healthy snacks by the time you get into your Airbnb. I think that's a really good so idea. What's really interesting for me about that, Mark, is um, so I recently stayed in an Airbnb mm-hmm. and ran into this issue where I'm celiacs and different areas I go in, there's different levels of attention paid to gluten-free. So I actually wasn't able to find any food or groceries I could order in the community I was in and ended up just living off of like Lay's 
potato chips for like a day <laughs> because th nothing was open at the right time and so on. So that's, that's a really, really great idea. I mean, you can yeah. work with hotel hoteliers too. It doesn't yeah. have to be a uh, particularly um, boutique hotels. Yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, like the long-term can... stay ones too. Like yeah. I was yeah. at a, it was like a residence inn or whatever, where it's like all kind of longer term, you know, corporate stay and stuff. Like you could that. actually, yeah. you know, this, this goes to what um, Joe was talking about, which is the B2B side of things. You know, this could be part of corporate travel and building out a B2B side of things yeah. and, and even um, attracting uh, businesses that that may really embrace the allergies and dietary restrictions of their employees yeah. uh, and to demonstrate that they care about them when they travel to make sure that they go to – they can select places that do this for them. So Yeah, uh, yeah and then on the negative customer experience side, why don't you tell us about your last United flight? So other than a United flight, <laughs> allegedly, uh, what would be a negative – that was great. Thank you. A, a negative consumer experience for you that you recall. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I I still think like uh, Uber Eats and uh, these sort of food delivery um, experiences still have a long way to go. I think there's a lot of nuances around the items getting wrong or, you know, inconsistency and in finding the address or, you know, there's a bunch of these sort of things and I think they'll get fixed over time, but I think we consistently run into either the wrong order. And especially when there's dietary constraints, like I'm a vegetarian and they, I ask for a vegetarian meal and they bring me something with chicken, uh, mm -hmm. and it's dinner time. Uh, that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And really understanding for these companies that, you know, it's not just uh, another transaction, but it's really disrupting like a family's dinner time uh, is, I think, something for, for these companies to consider because that is a big deal for me. I actually get. had, yeah, I had yeah. somebody swap gluten-free noodles for the regular noodles because yeah. they tasted better. And then I, that was like a missed meal as a result. Um, and luckily, I saw that they had put crackers, which are wheat, in with the soup. So it, it was enough of a flag that I called them to yeah. ask. Otherwise, I would have been sick for days. Yeah, exactly. Um, like yeah. This, is, this is an important thing, right? It's not just giving somebody a ride or delivering a book. It, this is a big deal. Uh, and it has a like, – it could have a foundation. Like it can have a fundamental impact to your whole day or to your meal or your evening. Like if uh, we, we had this experience just – two nights ago where uh, we ordered something and uh, for our son who's three years old and they didn't get it right. And a three-year-old, there is no compromise at dinner time. So we had to yeah. go scramble. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it is a uh, hostage situation there. So we had yeah. to go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> So Sunil, we had to figure it out. Oh, <laughs> that's rough, man. Hostage negotiations. That's right. Yeah. Um, or not. Uh, <laughs> all right, Sunil, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, reflecting on this conversation and the mission of Thrive Market in general and, and the grocery industry, um, uh, any last thoughts or, or final word you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I'll share what's top of mind for me right now as uh, I'm thinking about the next sort of three years of uh, Thrive and where we need to be. Like, we just need to get better, and I think industry as a whole has to get better at uh, finding the right balance between storytelling and the emotional connection and truly direct response and coupons and offers. And that's not just a thing that you do on social or a campaign. It truly has to be embedded on every part of the experience. 
And that's going to be what's top of mind for me as I sort of think through the next three years of Thrive and marketing. Very good. And uh, Sunil, how can people connect with uh, perhaps you directly uh, or, or also uh, Thrive Market, uh, you know, potential strategic partnerships uh, um, or just to find out what you guys are doing? Yeah, I think please email me directly at sunil.kaki at thrivemarket.com. Um, happy to sort of introduce you to the person that heads up BD and partnerships on Thrive. Um, and then we can go from there. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, Sunil Kaki, the SVP of marketing at Thrive Market, uh, a really enjoyable conversation and pretty, pretty insight, uh, inspiring, I think, really also about what you guys are doing and what the potential going forward is. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was, uh, that was a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, that's it for this episode of Grocery is Your Business and a good one at that. Appreciate all of you for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon with a, another tremendous guest. Until then, uh, I do want to say uh, thank you, Rob Sanchez. Good night, y'all. And uh, by the way, uh, it was great to have uh, Commerce Next speaker, Joe Yakwell, the CEO of Agency Within, sitting in as guest host. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. All right, man. And uh, by the way, to hear more from speakers like Joe, you can check out Commerce Next on July 31st and August 1st in New York City. Uh, until next time, uh, again, thanks for listening. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day. This has been Grocery is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.